Welcome to episode 7 in series 2 of the Outside and Active podcast. I'm your host Matt Coyne and this week my pal Dominic Brown chats to Kevin Weber. In 2014, Kevin was diagnosed with prostate cancer and was given just two years to live. Here we are eight years later and he has raised a significant amount of money for Prostate Cancer UK and inspired many with his epic running achievement, including the Marathon de Sable running through Cambodia and running 2,600 laps of his back garden. We talk about what you can achieve today, not waiting for tomorrow. Sports Tours International provide the opportunity to participate in the world's biggest marathons, take on the most challenging sportives, and watch some of the toughest bike races on the planet. As international travel partner of the six world marathon majors, including TCS New York Marathon, Tokyo Marathon, Austin Marathon, BMW Berlin Marathon, TCS London Marathon, and Bank of America Chicago Marathon, as well as the VIP tour operator of the three Grand Tours and five Monuments of Cycling. They get people of all ages and from all walks of life to the starting line or in prime spectator view. Find the next event to inspire your running at sportstoursinternational.co.uk. It's not just mass participation you could choose either. They also have an exclusive partnership with the world's number one training resort, Club La Santa in Lanzarote, to accommodate anybody looking for training or active holiday at this incredible sports leisure resort. Try your hand at over 500 different activities and enjoy recovery in the sunshine and an array of wellness facilities for all ages, abilities, whether solo, groups, couples and families. To find out more, head over to clublasanta.co.uk. Kevin Weber, thank you very much for joining us today on the Outside and Active podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastically well, thank you. Absolutely Great. We've chatted before and we've spoken before, but obviously not on this podcast. So it'd be great to chat again. And we're at the National Running Show now and I've heard you speak and it's incredibly inspirational. We'll get into that. Uh, but to begin with, where did your journey start with running and being ath- being being an athlete effectively? <laughs> being an athlete, I always feel that's a bit embarrassing really because I don't see myself as an athlete. But mm. um, I played rugby when I was about 18, 19 and they organised a half marathon and someone said I should run it. So I ran it without any training. But I was like 20 years old and I did it in 159 and 54 seconds or something. Mm. But then I got the bug. I'm a bit compulsive. And so then I started running loads of 10Ks and half marathons, never any further. Then I got injured playing rugby, didn't run anymore for years. And then one day one of my wife's friends died and she said to me, you always wanted to run a marathon, never did. Entered the marathon, trained for it, did it. And then, yeah, so that, and then I got compulsive again and started running there. loads of marathons. Which marathon was that first one? My first one was in Orpington in Kent. All my mates said, it's the crowds that keep you going. And there was 80 people in it. There were no crowds. It was horrendous. But I finished it just. and uh, But then, then I wanted to do a proper one. So then I did London and Brighton and yeah. loads of Quite others. And, and so you, do you find yourself that you're quite competitive or is it something to yourself that you do? I'm not at all competitive. Mm. So the only thing I ever do that I get competitive in, and every, every month into the month is a thing called Cancer 5K Your Way at Park Run. And when I do parkrun, I get competitive because it's 5K <laughs> and I can kind of go a bit faster. Yeah. But when I'm doing an ultramarathon, it's just about the finish. Or actually, yeah. it's just about doing as much as I can do because I don't always finish. And on the start line, what are you feeling like? And that might be for a 5K or for an ultramarathon. What's it like on the start line? The start line, I'm just, I just rejoice in being there. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to be sort of morbid, but I should have been dead five years yeah. ago. And so every time I put my foot on the start line is a start line that shouldn't have happened. Yeah, so you... you just touched on it there. 2014, you, your life changed. You, you you were got given the news that you were diagnosed with prostate cancer and you were given two years to live. And well, 
here we are. <laughs> here we are. And it would be interesting to know, like, I'm sure you've spoken a lot about um, about that period of your life, but it'd be good to know, because I, I, I kind of know your, what happened with your running journey, but the stepping blocks to, to, to be like, I'm just going to crack on. I'm just going to carry on. This is not going to affect me. I want to carry on running and, and living my life. I think I'd be lying if I didn't say it was pretty tough at first. I yeah. think the first two days I probably cried for 48 hours, you mm. know. And then then I started not worrying about me and I started worrying about my family. And I just thought it's not fair on them. And then I felt bad because I was ruining their lives. Mm. And that went on for a couple of months. And then I thought, actually, it's not about me or my family because we can sort that out. But it's about anyone that's got a problem in life. And so, yeah, I felt sad for everyone, which then inspired me to try and run and fundraise and talk and try and encourage people to do what I do. Mm. And that is, as my wife says, if you wake up and you feel okay, it's going to be a good day. You haven't got to feel perfect, just feel okay. Feel good. Because actually, if you don't feel good, do you want to spend the whole day not feeling good or do you want to try and distract yourself? And that's what running is sometimes. Sometimes I start running and I feel really rough. And within three or four K, everything's kind of calmed down. Yeah. I'm in the zone, forgotten about everything, forgotten about tomorrow's hospital appointment, forgotten about my prognosis. I'm just running for me, enjoying it. And of course, and then when it gets hard, you think, oh, it's a bit hard, should I stop? I know because I'm fundraising. Because people have sponsored me to do this run, so I better carry on. Yeah. And so, yeah, I love it. Oh, good. And do you find, is there someone that inspires you within the running community? Do you have people that that, that you either looked up to or similar people that run for charities? Or is it is it just kind of, this is your journey? I think, it sounds strange, everyone inspires me. Yeah. Because no matter whether you're someone fantastic like Damien Hall or someone rubbish like me, we both have to put our foot outside the doorstep in the morning when it's wet and cold and we could have stayed and had a coffee. And so that's the bit about all runners. You know, you could be doing couch to 5K. It's just as hard to go out the front door when it's rubbish. And that's the bit I admire. The couch to 5K people listening, when the day says, when you look out the window and it's wet and you think, oh, I won't do it today, then you've failed. You know, you've lost. Yeah. The whole point is going out and trying because you never know what might happen today. And so tomorrow might come and you might be not do, you might not do it tomorrow. And then you go, why didn't I do it yesterday when I could? Just because I was being a bit mm. lazy. You know, runners are so humble. It's amazing to me that you say, oh, I'm, I'm a bit rubbish because I'm sure everyone that's listening would, would not would not think that at all. And one thing to attest to that is that I think it was a, a couple of months after you started your, um, after your chemotherapy and, and going through that, you ran a marathon? So, yeah, so I, I went for a run the day after chemotherapy started. I only uh, ran three miles. It was awful. But I got home so happy that I could still run. And I'd already entered the Brighton Marathon before I was ill. Yeah. And so I decided I was going to do it. And that was week 13 of chemo. And wow. training for it was tough and doing it was tough. But every time I wanted to stop, I just kept on thinking, if I stop now, I'll never do it. And if mm. I stop now, people will look at me and say, yeah, that's what you do when you're ill. You just stop. Don't, Kevin, you're so stupid for even trying. And I also thought about people who sponsored me. You know, people had given me money and I'd have been under, under false pretense. I've been lying. I mean, I know those have forgiven me in my situation. Yeah. But I didn't want to have to face people and say, I stopped because it was a bit hard. I mean, it's one thing, you know, if you've got a turned your ankle and you can't walk anymore, that's absolutely fine. Stop. Yeah. But if it's just a bit hard, you know, you just don't give up on life because it's a bit hard, do you? No. And we will definitely touch on prostate cancer and the work you do. And, and I know that you, you're very passionate and want to talk about that. I'd like to just carry on with the running just because doing a marathon is one thing, especially when you're going through going through the treatment. But you actually took on the Marathon de Saab. And for anyone that doesn't know, the Marathon de Saab is, is I think it's a 150-odd mile ultramarathon through the desert, extreme heats. 
that for anyone is incredibly difficult, but you decided, no, oh, I'm just going to do it. I want to take it on. I'd read about it when I was doing my first half marathon. So back when I was 20, it was mm. the first of a marathon disciples. And I thought one day I'd like to do it, but I thought it's never going to happen because I can just about do a half marathon. And my wife knew it was kind of this, actually I say it was the only thing on my bucket list. You know, some people say, I want to go parachute jumping or whatever. Mm. Actually, I know you didn't ask me this question, but one of my pet hates is bucket lists. If you want to have a tattoo, why the hell are you going to wait until you're 50 or until you're ill? Just go and do it. Yeah. Know? But some things you can't do in ordinary life. And one of those for me was the Marathon Disciples. So I went out there because I wanted to put my foot on the start line and experience it. And it was just, it was everything I wanted it to be and more and harder. But about two hours after I finished, having said, I'm never coming out here again, I thought, I've got to go and do it again. <laughs> And so I, I, and I did it four times and I tried wow. the fifth and then the fifth time was last year and I got salmonella poisoning just before the race started, oh, no. ill, sick, diarrhea, started the race, got about 15k, sick, diarrhea, sick, diarrhea, ran out of water and they helicoptered me out of the course. So I had seven and a half litres of drip in a medic tent for two days. But do you know what? I felt sorry for myself for about five seconds. Yep. That was my 635th day of my running streak as well. Wow. And it came to an end, and I just thought, oh, well, I'll just do something else now. Because one, mass- one of my massive frustrations is we all worry about what we can't do, whereas we should think about what we can do, mm. and we can do so much. And in COVID, so COVID came, and we couldn't do anything, could we, for a bit, and the MDS was cancelled, so I ran out of my back garden. I did 2,600 laps in my back garden to do the 250K, because you could still do that under yeah. COVID. And I didn't waste all the training. Whereas other people were going, oh, all this training I've wasted. Well, I didn't waste any of it. I wore my gear, had a laugh, raised some money. And afterwards felt quite proud that I'd done it. I can hear you talking. I can hear in your voice now, and I've heard you speak before. You're very much about seizing the day. And every minute that you're here is an opportunity. And I mean, from your experience, of course, but you want to, you want to share that with people and help them have that same kind of feeling as well. I mean, I'm lucky. I know that life is short. Mm. I know that it could be over quite soon for me. And most people walk around thinking that they're going to live until they're 90 years old, and I hope they do. But no one knows when the bus is going to knock them over. Yeah. And you just don't want that regret. And and it's not just the person who got knocked over. That's the person that didn't go and see them when they could have done the day before they got knocked over. The person that didn't help them. Maybe the person didn't do something that would have stopped them getting knocked over. So to me... Every day you do things. So before I was ill, if someone had phoned me on a Sunday night and said, Kev, do you want to go for a beer? I might say, oh, I was out last night, a bit tired. Stay in. Stay in. Now I say, let's go. Mm. You don't ever put it off because I might never get asked again. And and how do I know? That person might be asking me because they might have some mental health issues, might be tough at home, they might have some bad news. So by me saying no, I'm also letting them down as well. Yeah, and like you said, you're cherishing every moment. What point was it that you kind of knew that, that that stop clock almost wasn't the two years. You were you were actually in a good position in, in continuing to go. I think it was two years. Really? Because <laughs> you can't help it. When no. someone says two years, it's like you're focused you, on it. A bit like watch. a finish line. Mm. You know, I had this finish line that I didn't want to get to. Yeah. And I got there and I crossed the line and, and the track carried on. So I thought, well, <laughs> oh, dare I step another day? And I, <laughs> and I kept on going. And so, and now I just, well, I know every day is a gift. So I no longer worry about it. Mm. And... And I have to admit, this might be bravado. When the day comes, maybe I'll be in tears and everything else. But actually, I think I can't get cross or upset. You know, I've had five more years than I ever thought I'd have. And they've been five brilliant years. And, you know, I've had some treatment and some wobbles along the way. Yeah. But 
actually, those five years have been fantastic. I've done loads of good things, met amazing people, raised loads of money for charity, mm-hmm. just, you know, written a book or everything. I just feel so, you know, just happy about life. And that's, that's the best way to be. And we'll pick up on the book in a second. But again, you mentioned it there. You raise so much money for charity and you, and you work a lot with Prostate Cancer UK. You're wearing the T-shirt now. Uh, like, how is that experience? Is it? Do you feel like... Obviously, it's very close and personal to you, but you you raise a lot of awareness for, for prostate cancer and you, you really want to get out and talk about it. One of the big frustrations for me is that a lot of people are ill or they know people that are ill mm. and they are all sad that they're ill, but they don't do anything about it. Mm. And I always think you should always, you know, if your dad's got prostate cancer, then your dad might be 72, so he can't run a marathon. And you might be 50, and maybe you can't, but your son might be 30 and he can, mm. or she can, if your daughter... So why don't you do it, you know, and just pick a, something that's close to your heart because not only will you feel good about it, you can't really help your dad in that situation, but you are helping your dad. Your dad's thinking, yeah, you know, I've, I've inspired you to do this for other people. Not going to help me, but it will help other people. So whatever your cause is, whatever the, the illness or the concern or yeah. the homelessness, you know, PTSD, whatever it might be, if you know someone with it, next time you do a race, don't do it for no charity do it for a charity. And if you only raise a tenner, that's 10 quid more, more than the charity ever had. And if, imagine how people run. Yeah. Everyone raised £10 for charity. How much would we raise in a year? Right. Millions. Yeah, and, and I'd hate to misquote a statistic, but the statistics with prostate cancer are extremely high. And you, you probably, until you hear it, you don't really realise it. I mean, well, one in eight men get prostate yeah. cancer in the UK. Um, if, if your dad or brother or uncle's had it, it's closer to one in four if you're wow. black. It's closer to one in four. So I don't know what's, you know, unfortunately in black people's genes is something that yeah. gives them prostate cancer. And if you're black and your dad's had it, so you know, it's really, really important that, that people are aware of it because there's already a cure if you get sorted out early. Yeah. So, so you don't need to find a cure for people like me. You just don't ever let people get like me and you get them early. Um, and, and people often talk about prostate cancer and say it's like a man's disease, you know. But ask my wife that. You know, she's had to go through my journey, and unlike me, she doesn't get time off work because she doesn't feel very well. Yeah. And no one says, well done. And no one says, you know, if she runs a 10K, no one says, oh, well done, Sarah, to 10K. And she raises a few quid, no one says, but for me, I get all that. So the only person that really looks after my wife is me. Mm. You know, she knows when, if I don't have a good day, her job is to make me feel better. Even if she doesn't want to, that's her job. And then, of course, then she's got to watch me get ill, like really yeah. ill, and die, and deal with the funeral, and then deal with the kids, and then deal with... The noise downstairs at three in the morning. When yeah. That's my job to go downstairs and yeah. now it will be her job. I think, yeah, you're completely right. A lot of people don't think about that. And I can imagine that she's been an incredible support network oh, for amazing. you as long with, you know, friends and family. And that's, that helps as well. She me, well, she, she worked out quite early that if I had a, a goal and the goal is a running thing, yeah, then I'm happy because I can go to a running show. I can buy a magazine. Mm-hmm. I can go on the internet. I can buy a pair of shoes. That's all like short term fixes. And when you're in my situation, then short-term fixes is all I've got. So I have all of those every day, and she understands that. So she doesn't you – know, I've come here all weekend. She's not a complaint. Just here no. you go. Yeah. Probably, probably seen the post. <laughs> she, 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 she doesn't complain, and then you go out the door and he goes, oh, he's gone again. <laughs> so then so moving on to – you mentioned it earlier. Um, you've written a book, Dead Man Running, One Man Story um, of Running to Stay Alive. How did that come about? So I've got – a there's a guy called Mark Church. Um, he works for the BBC. Uh, his dad died of pancreatic cancer. And he decided to run from the Oval 
to Lords and back twice a day, every day for 50 days. Wow. So it's five miles each way. So we did 20 miles. He's not a runner. And he's a cricket commentator. And uh, the BBC knew me. So I said, would you go running with him one day? So I did yeah. one of those there and backs with him. And uh, we just became sort of friends. And then he, had, he did a podcast and he said, would you do it? I said, yeah, so I did a podcast. He played it to his mum, who's like 80 years old. And she mm. said, well, I'll buy his book. He said, well, he hasn't got a book. So in COVID, there was no cricket. Yeah. So we had nothing to do. So I was working from home. In the evenings, we had nothing to do. So we'd spend four hours a week on the phone, me talking to him. He'd write it up. I'd get it back. I'd edit it. We'd do the next chapter. And it took about three months. And then, you know, final edits. And, and he knew a publisher. So I got a publisher and here we are, booked for released and happy days. And it goes through your, your story and all of the challenges that you've undertaken. Yeah, so it starts on my summer holiday just before I was diagnosed. Yeah. And it ends um, probably a few months ago when it was, mm, when it was published. You, yeah, oh, incredible. And that's available now. Now we'll yeah, absolutely Amazon, link yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, an incredible story. And um, I'd be interested to know, I might know the answer to this based on what you've spoken about, but what, what has been the your favourite race that you've ever, ever done or ever kind of, it might not be a race, but kind of trail or something like that. Okay, so favourite races in Marathon of was because, one, I never thought I'd do it mm. and two, every year I've done it is like another year of life. Favourite place I've run in has got to be Cambodia. Really? Because oh, Cambodia is the only place where the kids wave at you rather than put their hand out, money out, hand out for, for begging. For money. And they've got no money, they've got nothing. Mm. And so I understand why they people beg, but... They're just so happy. They've got nothing, but they're happy. And, and that just rubs off on you. It's just infectious. But then I have to say, I just love running the UK. Yeah. So I think the UK is an amazing country. It's got everything. You know, you've got yeah. the beaches, you've got some hills, you've got some flat stuff, you've got some mountains. You can run everywhere in the UK. And yeah, and, it, and it's equally, it's kind of carbon friendly as well. It's all well jetting yeah. off to Cambodia to run, but that's not very good on me for the planet is it go up to the lake district and have have views there exactly oh, i like love the lake district beautiful place <laughs> <laughs> and and then leading on from that is there a race or somewhere that you'd like to go and run um there are so many races that i like to do however i have a bit of a challenge insofar as all the insurance companies that would previously insure me have all stopped so really? i can no longer get insurance for ultra sea, overseas ultra marathons I could run a road marathon overseas, mm. but anything longer than that, they won't insure you for with pre-existing conditions. I see. And you might say, oh, that's okay, Kevin, you'd be fine with the cancer. And they're right, but I also have a thing called osteopenia, which is um, bone disease mm. from the drugs I take. So if I fell over and broke my leg, the insurer would probably say, it's because you've got osteopenia, we're not going to cover you. And that's okay if that's you know in France, but if that's you know in Costa Rica, like I was going to be next month, yeah. And I've got to be helicoptered off the course to a hospital and it's, it's my back and I'm in there for a month and it bankrupt the family. And that's just too selfish Absolutely. to go and do something like that. So, so then my next challenge isn't a race. My next challenge is, um, I'm going to run walk from London to Tipperary in Ireland. Okay. Because as the song goes, it's a long way to Tipperary. <laughs> in fact, it's 968 kilometers. Blimey. And the reason why I'm doing it is because 968 men die every month of prostate cancer in the UK. Oh, amazing. So every kilometre will be for a man who has died that month. Oh, that's incredibly so inspiring. I'm doing it with a friend and it'll be a bit of a laugh and a few yeah. Guinnesses. And the yeah. idea is every day I run a bit, walk a bit, and then I do a talk every day. So it might be a school, a hospital, a business, just to kind of get people to live in the now and do some good. That's incredible. And you, how do you find the time to do all of this? So I'm, I'm really lucky and you know, I work for NatWest. I've worked for them for 40 years now 
And when I first got diagnosed, the CEO phoned me up and said, Kevin, just do what you want to do. Please you know, come to work still. But if you're doing things that help us, then that's great. Yeah. So let me do what I want to do. Wow, what an incredibly supportive. They are company. amazing. Yeah, I mean, they could have easily just kicked me out. But yeah. actually, but they realised, one, it's it's morally right, I suppose. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. But secondly, I do a lot of good for them. You know? yeah. and, and they are a bank which is now all about sustainability and so it being kind green of works. and stuff. So it kind of works both yeah. ways. They're very charitable. They do loads of stuff for kids. And, you know, like in, in lockdown, I think they did something like 7 million lessons for children online. You know, no one knows about it, but that's mm. what they do. So, and there's sort of unsung heroes. And I think, again, work, a lot of people are like that. And they should be like me a bit and a bit upfront about it because then it encourages other people to do it. Mm. Because if you do something good, then someone else will go, well, if you can, then I then can. Then I can do it. Oh, well, in- incredibly inspiring, the whole story. And, of course, it, like you said, the, the book is available to, to read more about it. But just before we let you go, just one last question that we, we say to all of, our, all of our guests is, what do you like about being active? I guess the best bit for me is that freedom and escapism initially. So I know when I go out, I haven't got to worry about anything in my life. But the reason I like being active on ultramarathons in particular, because that's my thing, is because you go a bit slower, or in my case, a lot slower, which means you get to meet loads of people and you can talk to them. I totally understand if you're chasing a a 3.30 marathon, you're not going to start talking to the person next to you. But if you're just chasing a finish in Race to the Stones, then you've got the time to chat and talk to people and thank the stewards and stuff. And all the volunteers on ultramarathons, you go and thank them. Whoever thanks a volunteer on the London Mm. Marathon, you know, no one ever does. They just run past, and if that cup's not held perfectly to pick up, mm, they get cross. To the floor, yeah. Whereas that's, you know, they're volunteers. So, yeah, thanking people and being nice, and, and that's what running gives you the opportunity to do that. Kevin, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Kevin. You can find his book on all reputable book resellers. Just search for Dead Man Running. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to like, share, and give us a five-star rating on your favourite podcasting channel or listen back to all of the episodes at outsideandactive.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, enjoy the outside.